admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do so means that the certain influences in the world must be taken off. The end of all evil. Never in all of history have the elements been arrayed against the evil manifested tyranny and slavery as they are today. The dreams that burn in the hearts of billions have been growing stronger through the millennia. The children of this world are owed a liberty from the slavery that few are able to comprehend. This is the most exciting era in all of human history. It is the dawn of the freedom of mankind. Hello, and welcome to the End Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen. This podcast is created for folks who are seeking truth, people who want freedom, people who love life. The aim is simple, to eliminate evil whenever and wherever possible. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Good idea. I definitely have one or two podcasts where you hear my phone ringing in the back. <laughs> well, let me quickly tell you this as well. That, um, my, my ringtone before my, before I dropped my old phone underneath a, a tractor and it broke into a million pieces, my ringtone was, um, uh, Biggie Smalls, Big Popper. Uh, you know, where he's like, I love it when you call me Big Pop, but you know, put your hands in the air if you're a big player. And <laughs> I remember one podcast, I was recording a very serious philosophical interview right in the middle of one of my guest answers. I love it when you call me Big Pop, but you know, <laughs> just little divine inspiration. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now I put my phone on to do not disturb. Um, so yeah. Nonetheless, anyway, I'm going to throw it over to you. I'm just speaking now. Uh, that's all good. Well, I'll go ahead and just get started because we're obviously, you're very natural at just chatting. And, um, I, I mean, you, did you see the kind of the list I put there? I thought I'd just kind of keep my questions in those zone. Um, sure. Yeah. I will, I will say when it comes to Plato's cave, what I know about that story is, um, is, 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 the list of what I don't know about it is much longer than the list of what I do know about it. Right. And I've gone over it a few times and I'm, I'd, I'd still like to engage the conversation because I'm interested to see what you think actually. But yeah, nonetheless okay. we can. Maybe yeah. I'll save that kind of more for last or see if it pops in. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, profits, I was just kind of thinking about that sort of an interesting subject because, um, you know, in the Bible, it uses that term but we don't really use that term in modern day too much. But in a lot of ways, yeah. I feel like people that are trying to speak out are like the modern day prophets. Um, people that are trying to share um, words of importance that are trying to get people's eyes or hearts to lead back towards um, the creator or the creation or the divine, however you want to call it, you know? And so I thought it was kind of an interesting term to bring up, but I don't yeah. know if it hit you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, Prophecy is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a strange occupation and I, it's funny, you know, I, I, I actually went back and started studying divinity at university, um, last year. I ended up doing that for a number of reasons. Uh, 
partially at least because I felt like I was undergoing some sort of fundamental shift in my metaphysical structure, you know, the way that I viewed reality, the way that I viewed the world around me was completely shifting uh, from paying attention to a few really important teachers in my life, as well as, uh, you know, writing the poet and the sage, for example, the experience of writing that book and really coming to understand that the poetic experience is one of uh, engaging in almost a revelatory sort of process, you know, of not forcing an idea onto the paper, but allowing something to flow through you onto the paper. And when you allow that to happen, the artist can sometimes be quite surprised with what comes out. And I found that that was certainly my experience was I was extremely surprised to find what came out onto the paper when I just allowed myself to kind of tune in to the radio signal as it were, you know, me being the radio and the signal coming through onto the paper. And I stood back and I thought, man, this is very weird what's coming out here. And so that experience led me to study divinity. And the first class that I decided to take, because I was really fascinated with this, this idea of prophecy, it doesn't make sense to me that prophecy is this religious kind of occupation uh, found in these ancient times, but today we just pass it off as, that's just an old superstition. You know, it, it didn't make sense to me in, in those terms. And so I thought this is the class I'm going to take first. And I'll, I'll tell you this because it's, it's quite amusing to me. Uh, the assignment, the final assignment that we were supposed to do for this class of, of prophecy, um, the, the, te- the, one of the reasons I chose the class was because the teacher actually said, you know, for this final assignment, you get to either do a two and a half thousand word essay or you do a 1,000 word essay plus an art piece. And I thought, I'm a poet, I'm a musician, I'm going to take the art piece, right? Um, what I ended up giving her was a seven, seven and a half thousand word essay, 54 poems and a one hour long album, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, she did mark me down for the word count, but I still got a high distinction. She made sure of that because, you know, it was, it was, solid you know i re- i didn't want to limit myself to 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 my thinking so i wanted to explore as much as i could and so when i was exploring ph- uh, prophecy one of the things that really stood out to me uh and 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 this is this is so interesting it was that the ancient prophets they had such a hard time discerning who was a true prophet who was a false prophet right that was one of the big problems but one of the really interesting things is that the true prophets were the ones who it wasn't a profession to them. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the temple prophets who were, you know, they're doing the rituals in the temple. And then there were these prophets who, you know, they just told the Kings exactly what they wanted to hear. You're going to win this battle. You're going to do well. God is favoring you, you know, 400 prophets telling the King that he's going to do well, you know, and, but then along would come this prophet who would turn out to be the true prophet. And, and theirs was not prophecy of profession. It was prophecy out of a, a moral obligation. It was, it was their calling. You know, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was an occupation that was given to them. Right. And, and so they would often say things like, well, I can only speak the truth that God speaks through me. And so I became really fascinated with the overlap between artistry and prophecy because so much of the ancient prophets, so many of them delivered their prophecy through poetry or prose or symbolism or music even. 
And that's fascinating because the artistic process is similar to the prophetic process in that you're going to a deeper level of reality and you're pulling things up from the depths, right? And putting them onto the page or speaking them or singing them or, you know, and, and, and that's why I wanted to find out what are these overlaps? So it's just, it's such a fascinating discussion, but I guess the final thing that I will say on this uh, before I hand it over to you, I know I'm rambling now, but I spoke to Joe, uh, 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 Stephen Jenkinson, very interesting, uh, character from, uh, from up in Canada, uh, very kind of mystical writer and thinker, interesting person, but he described, uh, getting in touch with the logos, for example, the logos, the thing that connects everything, that ancient, uh, Greek term that d- describes kind of the interconnectedness of everything, the, the, the single principle that binds everything together. He described getting in touch with that, which is almost what the prophets were doing according to, to my research. But I, again, I'm, I'm such a newbie to this. So I want to put that out there. He said, it's kind of like you've got a river, right? And perhaps the river is your culture and you see the waves up at the top, right? We see in our culture at the moment, there's so many waves. It's a very choppy culture at the moment. There's so much to, to be, you know, worried about in terms of where our culture is heading. So you think, think of this river and there's all these waves and everything. But what the prophet or the poet or the artist does is they go below those waves and they can see the rocks beneath that are actually creating the waves, right? And so they come back up and they say, hey, there's a bunch of rocks down there. I can see them, <laughs> you know, and take a look at this because this is the the reason why we're seeing so many waves. And so in that way, the prophet sees below the wavy water at the top, sees what perhaps is ahead and comes up and says, Hey, listen, you look underneath, you know, <laughs> there's more down there. And this is the reason why you guys have got to be careful. Something bad's coming. And so I don't know if I've done a terrible job of explaining that, but I'm going to throw it over to you anyway. I'm just going to take over for an hour. No, that's great. And it, it kind of leads me towards what I was thinking about too, is, you know, um, the danger of, of prophecy too, is the idea of false prophets, you know, and that's something I was just looking, doing some research recently in the Bible and I come across, um, you know, the warning of false prophets. I think it was, um, a Matthew verse. And it got me thinking about that, how, um, you know, I've had some pretty incredible inspiration moments in my life where I feel like I'm getting like inspiration from somewhere, you know, and then it occurs to me that, you know, we can look in history and see people who have felt like, oh, God told me to do this, kill all these people. <laughs> and then we look back yeah. at what this person did and we say, no, nah, that wasn't, that wasn't a good thing to do. That's not the kind of God I would want to believe in that would, you know, and so there's definitely this possibility out there of false prophecy or false prophets, you know, and, and how do we know that we're the ones that are the, you know, if we're work, I mean, and I'm not talking about prophecy necessarily telling the future. I like it more the way you described the people that are able to dive deeper and see what's causing things and be able to report on that to others, you know, people that have the mind for that. And obviously you're one of those people that thinks deeply about things and asks the deeper questions but how do we, I guess the question that I would, you know, raise from that, that I think would lead us to another good discussion is how do we, um, discern, you know, a false prophecy from a valid prophecy? And how do we know that we're on the truth side of that equation? 
Does that yeah. make sense? Oh yeah, it, it makes sense. The answer will not, because <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, you know there's there's so many answers to that question and none uh, perhaps fully decided. You know, because I, I I think about this a lot, right? Because I mean, the, the biblical interpretation for how you might discern a true prophet, you know, St. Paul, he would say, well, the true prophet, you know, calls on the name of Christ, right? You know, and, and in, in the, in the ancient, you know, Hebrew prophets, it's, um, you know, they're these strange narratives of you find these kind of outsiders, you know, as I said, they're not necessarily the people close to the king. It might just be a shepherd in a field comes along and it's like, everybody's like, who's this kid telling us that we've got a, you know, straighten up and fly right. Otherwise God's going to come in and, you know, uh, destroy our culture. Um, you know, often they are the outsider looking in, right. And, and in a way that's what, what Christ represented as well was the outsider looking in and saying, Hey, there's a new way, you know, there's a new song being sung perhaps. And it, it is, it is so hard to discern what would be true prophecy, what would be false prophecy. Uh, let me let, let me give you a really interesting example from our modern times that I I think about this a lot. Um, it's and 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 I want to preface this by saying that you know it's easy to go down a, a pretty crazy conspiratorial rabbit hole when thinking about these things, but it just it's curious to me, right? So you think about somebody like Jordan Peterson, right? Now he's you know. He just blew up, right? People heard his message and they thought, man, there is something important going on here, right? And and a lot of people felt that way and just flocked to this person, right? But think about the message that he was saying. He was coming along and he said, hey, listen, I've spent a lot of time looking into the history of our cultures. I've spent a lot of time in deep mythology, looking at religion, looking at philosophy. What are they trying to teach us about the nature of reality when it comes to our culture? He comes along and he says, hey, listen, if we don't get our path straight again, if you don't take individual responsibility for your lives to speak truth, the most important thing, speak truth, take responsibility for yourself, for your families, for your communities, do whatever you can to live as honorable a life as possible. Otherwise, you know, one of the things that he certainly teach people is how to recognize what hell might look like, right? What might it look like if our culture suddenly uh, falls into the grips of totalitarian control or authoritarian control or any of these, you know, uh, and how does the culture actually get there? Now, he's an academic, but he comes along and he says, if you don't do this, things are going to go really bad for us, right? And if you go back and you track, <laughs> you know, from 2017 or uh, uh, 16 when he starts to pick up a bit of traction, would you say that our culture has gotten better or worse in terms of the number of problems that we're facing in the world right now, even with... uh uh, you know, everybody around the world is looking at Australia and saying, what the hell is going on with your government? You know, what the heck is happening here? We see incompetence everywhere. We see problems popping up everywhere in our culture. And you think there's an element of prophecy in a person like that coming along and saying, I understand what our culture is like beneath the surface. I understand what people are like beneath the surface. And I, ha- I have a commitment to speak this message out of a moral obligation because it's, it's, it's important. And in many ways, that's what the ancient prophets did. Even though a lot of them were not academics, they, they were actually often not 
as schooled as the as the the, the priests in the temple and people like that. But they came along and said, "There's a message being spoken through me, and I have to speak it." You know, because to not do that would be to go against the word of God. Uh, and so it's, it's just a, it's an, it's a really fascinating time at the moment because we do see so many people coming along and saying, Hey, everybody, watch out, watch out, watch out. You know, something bad's coming. Something's bad's coming. And, and, you know, it's, it is hard to discern. Um, but, uh, but man, it's, um, it's an important game to play is discerning who are, you know, who are the people we listen to, especially in these kinds of times. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I have this picture I drew in my notebook and sometimes I take a page out of my notebook and I put it in like a clear plastic, if it's a good one, right? <laughs> you know, and I've seen it a lot of times and it's a kind of an allegory I came up with myself that's like a spiritual cliff. And I do feel like um, that's part of what my realis- realization has been that we've reached a time in history that's sort of a spiritual cliff. And mm. It, we've reached a point at which people are having to make very difficult choices. And I think what you were saying about Peterson and his prophecy, I think is dead on. And it was why, you know, I zeroed in so much to the what on earth is happening podcast. Um, for me, my awakening experience was much, much of a, like the matrix kind of a awakening to um, a more hellish reality than I thought I lived in. I thought everything was pretty cool, you know, and then I started really Mm. seeing the problems and the difficulty I see going forward in my work of trying to speak out with things that I think are important is you wind up telling people things that are really difficult to realize. And what when Mm. I think about the essence of what I'm really asking someone who I'm trying to talk to is I'm truly asking them to go down a very difficult path. And um, yeah, is nothing easy about it. And every realization is going to put more of a burden on you. You know, if you do take truth seriously and you do look at the real problems, then you're burdened with this responsibility to do something about it. And, um, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to be in that position. You know, I remember younger in life looking at, you know, um, cultural religions, like I was in Christianity and there's this real push to get out there and, you know, um, preach the word to others, you know, and I never liked the idea of doing that very much. Um, but I still kind of find myself in that position, you know? And so, um, I guess what I'm getting at is I think that philosophy, the love of wisdom, the love of learning, the love of learning things and thinking about things is like the most important thing that we need to be talking about right now and the path towards mm. the solution to the problems we see in the world. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on the importance of philosophy in our world yeah. today. Well, you're touching on, I, I'd actually like to know what you think of this, right? Because when you say spiritual cliff, you know, the metaphor that I've given was uh, this, this waterfall humanity is pouring over, <laughs> you know, at the moment, you know, and, and you think, Take a look at the ancient prophets, right? We're, we're living in a time right now where it's so hard to discern what is truth, you know. And the, the world is kind of being divided at the moment between people who think one thing and people who think the other, right? And, okay, let's take the issue of vaccines. 
it's very clear that there's kind of like two sides right now. And there's a few people in the middle who are kind of like, eh, maybe we should all just let everybody figure it out themselves, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, really we've got two sides really divided. Um, and, and what ends up happening if, if we, if we try to go by like, well, you know, we should all be committed to the truth. It's really hard to discern the truth in these sorts of things. Right. Um, which is, you know, which is why the comedian Bill Burr, one of my favorite things he ever said, he says, you know, what people do is they make up their opinion about what's right and then they go to imright.com and they just list a whole bunch of facts from there. And that's exactly what we do because, you know, facts are everywhere and it's so hard to discern in a world of the internet, right? But, and this is why the ancient prophets didn't come along and say, you know, hey, our culture's dying and it's all because of, you guys and we're perfect, you know, you're wrong. And we're, you know, it, it was, it was like, Hey, listen, the entire culture has lost what is most important. Right. And we've veered off the path. And in a way, what they tried to do, you know, when they say, you know, come back to God, um, come back to correct worship, you know, cleanse yourselves, worship God, cry out to God. You know, if God is the highest pinnacle kind of point on that hierarchy of, um, of values, uh, in, in the world, uh, then what that is, it's, 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 it's the thing that fixes all issues if we can all agree to do it, right? It's, it's kind of like that thing that it takes care of all of the problems at once. If we all agree that like we are currently falling off a spiritual waterfall right now and, and the bottom doesn't look too good, right? And a lot of people are falling off it and it's, you know, you've got to give fairness to the, to the, you know, to the atheists out there and uh, to all the people who are against modern religion, because modern religions, it's not so clear that they're doing such a great job of maintaining that true spiritual value that they have been given through their traditions. Um, and so in a way, you know, we, we need to find out what is the highest value? What is that thing that's going to connect us all together? Otherwise, as Alan Watts said, we're all just going to kill each other in, in, in a game of mutual, you know, he did this and she did that and, you know, finger pointing. And that's exactly what we see at the moment. So yes, yes to wisdom. Uh, absolutely yes to wisdom. You know, wisdom is in short supply today. And I think that what we're seeing a lot of is a lot of very intelligent people who lack wisdom. And intelligence without wisdom can be very, very dangerous. And I, I really believe that today we are seeing, uh, yes, intelligence, lack of wisdom, the more we can all do to bring people back to wisdom, you know, and, and then we have to ask, well, what is wisdom? Where can it be found? You know, <laughs> what is the path to wisdom? And that's just as difficult as figuring out that, you know, there are these problems happening in our culture. So um it's, it's quite a mess that we've all gotten ourselves into. Yeah. And boy, there's a lot there that you went through, but um, I do want to comment on, um, you know, one thing you brought up a uh, vaccine, cause that's a hot issue, right? Um, to me, what we can do, I feel like there is a way to boil down what's most important. And in that case, you know, however I might feel about that subject, there's one aspect of it that, that I feel is very clear. And that aspect is that in no situation is slavery ever going to be a good thing. And 
Um, how we define slavery, you know, this can be a difficult topic with a lot of folks that I talk to, but um, I feel like any time where one human being has feels like they can control another human being, tell them what to do without that person having the option or the choice to say no, yes, then that becomes a situation of slavery. One person's making a claim on another person. And so any time where we see an issue where there's a type of coercion going on, and, and we see that in the, in the vaccines in different parts of the world where political systems are saying, nope, you have to do this by force, then that becomes evil. From, from my definition of evil is any time where we disrupt that choice that was given to us from the creator from the time of birth. We, you know, it's very clear. There's something that are very clear in life that we have this skin, you know, and it's the boundary, you know, between us and, and other things, right? And we have mm. the options to move it, and we got this brain. And it's the most valuable, terrific thing that we have is this ability to make a choice. Um, and I always look back to, um, oh, now I'm going to blank out on his name, gentleman that wrote a book. Um, he survived the, the concentration camps. And his statement was that choice is really the last thing that a man has, you know, in any situation. And I, I think, you know, the value, the freedom of choice is, is really the essence of what we are. And when someone takes yeah. that away from us, then they're committing an evil act. And so to me, that's how I would kind of boil that down to what matters in that subject. You know, you can have your feelings all day about which, you know, science or technology you appreciate, what you don't, what you've researched and what you've studied, you know, what you think's right and not. But when somebody makes somebody else do something by force, then, then they're stepping out of line. That's not right. That's wrong. Yeah. And you know what, Chris, I'm, I'm all with you. You know, I think, um, that's certainly to me, it, it appears that that is the wise approach in this, in this situation. But then we're faced with the dilemma. Well, so many people have fallen into this trap of being so afraid for their lives. I mean, there's so many parts to this, you know, Stephen Jenkinson, he says that we live in a death phobic culture, man, if people had been reading and listening to Stephen Jenkinson for about, you know, five, 10 years, they would understand why many of these problems are coming up because people are so afraid for their lives, right? That it even seems rational and reasonable to them to go and force others to do, you know, medical interventions. Um, out of some skewed version of uh, the greater good and uh, public health. And so I'm all with you, but we are still faced with that issue with how do we then, uh, how do we then live in this culture where so many people have that view that it should be mandated, right? When we do see academics and intellectuals, I know them who, you know, say no religious excuses, none of this. It's a good idea to have companies, you know, forcing people to, and you think you're a person who speaks every week to thousands of people around the world about what is wisdom. And we have to, we have to constantly be questioning ourselves because wisdom is, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easy to say we have wisdom. It's not easy to actually have wisdom, right? And so it's easy to, to claim wisdom. Um, but we have to constantly be questioning ourselves and we have to be thinking, well, 
if this is the hill that I'm dying on, for example, what is then the wise approach when it comes to living in this culture? Do I contribute to the finger pointing and the name calling and the, you know, because both sides can fall into that trap, right? Or do I decide that I'm going to simply refuse to be a slave? And that, in many ways, was the path of the ancient philosophers, right? I mean, Socrates, even even Seneca, you know, uh, these philosophers who believed that to die an honorable death meant to never have become a slave. And Seneca tells this great story. Um, and, and this is, this is such a powerful story, though. It's extremely difficult and you've got to be very wary about living it out in your life because it's not simple. But he tells the story of this Spartan slave who was captured as a slave and, and basically he was a young kid. And the first time that he was ordered to do a slave's task, which was to, to carry a bedpan, I think, he yelled in his native tongue, I will not be a slave. He ran against the wall and cracked his head against the wall and died, right? And to Seneca, he said, this shows us just how close we are at all times to freedom, right? Because ultimately, you always have that choice. He's not saying the first time you're ordered to do anything that you don't want to do, just go and kill yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is an example of somebody who understood that you don't have to be a slave. And that seems to me to be wisdom is taking it upon yourself and saying, okay, well, if my country is saying that I have to get a vaccine or lose my job, am I going to go along with this? Am I going to agree to be a slave? For some people out there, they might have a family to look after. They might have all kinds of obligations that they have to take off to, to, to look after. And and this is why I would say it's difficult, right? But is it a moral obligation? Once you believe that I will not be a slave, do you have a moral obligation to stand by those those values? And that's difficult. I will not stand here and tell everybody you need to leave your jobs because of these mandates because that's not my decision to make and that's way too difficult of a decision for anybody to make. But I can say that, you know, if we want to not be slaves, the only option is our choice. As you said, that's the only thing that finally comes back to us. And, um, and it seems to be the fact that if people just continue flowing over that waterfall, we just go quicker and quicker into hell. But as soon as people stop and say, no, I will not be a participant in this tyranny. I will not be a slave. As more and, pe- more and more people choose that, I'm happy to see when that happens, you know, and I've got family members who this is happening to. I've got friends who this is happening to. I'm interested in can more of us decide that we will not be slaves to the new tyranny and choose wisdom over folly? That's, that's what I'm interested to see. Well, it, you know, I've, I've sure had to make some very difficult choices in my life over the last year and a half. And, um, you know, I think what I've come to is to me, what wisdom is really is action. You know, you can study something and you can learn about something and gather information and knowledge, but how you apply that, what you do with that is the wisdom, right? Someone that really has wisdom has taken, um, the time to learn something, discernment and, 
you know, um, worked through those stages and then they've come to some conclusions and now they're doing something with those conclusions. And, and I think that's what you're describing is getting to that point where you do feel on solid ground. And, and I think that's the problem. And speaking of Jordan Peterson, um, one of his talks, I took a little clip out of it that I cherished where he talks about, um, um, morality basically and objective morality versus, um, moral ambiguity, which I think where most people are living in society around me from what I see where they don't really have a firm ground. They think that, um, beliefs are something that you just kind of form and everybody has their own. And, and because of this, um, sort of misunderstanding I feel of morality that we have people that don't think there is a such thing of truth, that it's not achievable, that you can't know things. And, and because of this, um, we're in sort of a, a pool of people that have no belief at all that have, that have, or all kinds of beliefs, but no, tr- no, no access on solid ground truth. And, and without that, where we end up is, is a moral, um, um, how should I say it? A swamp, you know, it's, it's a bad scene. Um, yeah. and I think really what I'm trying to do with end evil podcast is try to clear up some of that, some of that ambiguity. And I think that it is very clear that we can get down to what is the most important thing. And so that was kind of going to be my next question to you is because for me, I remember when I was like 12, 13, I grew up in a household where my dad was a preacher. He was studying this stuff. He had books all over the house. He was always talking about philosophy and spirituality and God. And, and I kind of came to this conclusion in my head that I needed to figure it out for myself. I, I ne- just taking other people's opinions or going, we were, we were going to Christian church at that time. Um, I wasn't going to accept anything unless I could make it make sense in my own head, you know? And so I started yeah. asking this question all the time. What's the most important thing? And I started asking that to other people and, uh, and, uh, you know, collecting people's answers over time. I was really shocked with what you get from people when you ask them, what's the most important thing? And, um, I think yeah. most people, their most important thing, a lot of times family, which I understand why they say that, but I think there's something more important. So I'd be curious for you, if I were to ask you, you know, what is the most important thing? What, what would you, what comes to your mind? Yeah. Well, it certainly appears to me that wisdom is at least up there, you know, and, but, but at the same time, I want to stress that I'm, I'm on that same journey of trying to discover what is the most important thing, you know, and, and this is something that I've been learning. Yeah. This wasn't something that I always thought that I was doing, but looking back on my life, I realized, yeah, that's exactly what I was doing because, you know, I, I started the podcast, you know, was searching around a little bit, went into a career as a gym manager, you know, really got my body nice and strong, felt good. It wasn't the final thing. You know, I, I was kind of in an, in an agnostic state, you know, then I kept on moving higher and higher and thinking, hey, what, what would be more important to figure out? What would be more important to figure out? And I kept on interviewing these people and getting these, you know, really fascinating conversations where we're diving into these deep topics of philosophy and religion and theology. And, and I'm trying to discover what would be that most important thing that if we could all 
gather that together. It's kind of like the golden snitch in Harry Potter. That's what it represents. You know, it's that shining thing in front of us that's pulling us forward. And if we can catch it, then, you know, you win the game. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I will say wisdom is certainly up there because wisdom is the thing that, you know, enables you to discern correctly the, the, the path of the flourishing existence, right? And the Stoics were, were funny in, in, in their response, right? Because they, they believe that pretty much everything outside of your own character, right? Your own, your own actions, right? Was either, was neither good nor bad, but it was indifferent. And that includes your family. That includes your children, right? It's like, you know, they would say there might actually come a time in your life where you would need to kill your wife and that would be the right decision, right? To most people, that's a horrifying thing to think. But that's because to the Stoics, wisdom, you know, was far more important than anything in the external world, which means that if they found that their wife was about to smother their children under a pillow and 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 kill kill the children, right? Okay. The right thing to do is try and get my wife off if she resists and she's still trying to, you might have to do something drastic. So you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, when you put wisdom at the highest possible place, it, everything becomes much more complicated, right? Because now you're not in a world where it's just easy to say, well, this is the most, but no, no, no. The most important thing is your decision right now in this moment, you know, what, what information are you presented with in this moment and what are you going to do about that information? So it's, it's tough, man. I think we're all trying to figure out what is the most important thing collectively as humanity, really. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you this, right? I'll tell you this because I think it's interesting. Um, I had kind of like an artistic vision, um, uh, that, that that came to my mind and it was this really wavy sea at nighttime, right? Big ocean waves, giant waves. And in the middle of this vision was this kind of really big wave right in the middle. And right at the top of that wave, hovering just above it, was this shining light, right? And it's funny because in the Christian sense, that shining light, that's, that's like Christ, the Logos. This is the thing that we need to carry throughout the wavy turmoil of history and fate and time. We need to keep this above the flooding waters because this is what's most important, right? But in a way, all of humanity for thousands of years through religions and philosophies and history, we're all trying to figure out what is that shining beacon at the top that we all need to keep safe so that we survive this flood of history and flood of time, which kills us all. And that's the interesting thing in the, in our times, there's this big debate about free speech to Jordan Peterson. That's the thing, freedom of speech and expression. That's the thing that nobody touches, right? Don't touch free speech because that's the thing that keeps us all bounded together and keeps society running safely. And you think, there's something right about that idea because the idea of free speech is we trust the logos, the thing that binds us all, the, the spoken truth of the individual. We trust that perhaps the masses are wiser than the few intellectuals at the top think they are. 
And perhaps if we allow them to argue things out and to speak to each other and to speak freely to each other and to speak openly, perhaps we will all find our way to greener pastures than if we put restrictions on what people can do or say. And and that's why I think we're living in such an interesting time because we are wrestling at a higher pace than ever before with what it would mean to grab hold of that most important thing. And unless we do it soon, you know, it, it's a dark future ahead. Unless we find that most important thing and really protect it well, things can go really bad really quickly. And there's a lot of people saying that, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, in my journey, what, one thing that, you know, I was saying what's difficult about trying to talk, speak about truth, freedom, um, these type of things is I'm asking people to take on, um, a difficult burden, right? And, um, a lot of what I've learned has been a difficult burden for me, but I have also come across something that I found to be, um, very much a simplification. Um, that makes my life a lot simpler where I feel um, in terms of morals and what's right and what's wrong. I have a very clear um, understanding that I didn't used to have for a lot of my life, even though I grew up in the church and with a dad who was a preacher. Um, there were things that never kind of made sense to me and that I've been able to put together more recently that, that really simplifies things. A lot of that complication has fallen away and and for me, that's really been basically a pretty simple realization, you know, about right and wrong. And what, what are we talking about when we're talking about right and wrong? You know, so often it gets confused because we have man's law, right? And we have all these rules all around us and people have belief systems based on different, you know, belief systems, right? B- different uh, religious backgrounds or whatever. But um, there, there is, I think there is common ground that I've managed to find. And um, w- what I really discovered on that was this term natural law that came about from um, what on earth is happening podcast, uh, Mark Passio. And what, what he's talking about natural law, that there is immutable, unchangeable, um, inherent truth. And that is basically that everything we do matters. And that at the core of mm-hmm. things, Reality itself, this is built into the very fabric of reality. Um, basically the golden rule, you know, um, that every effect, everything we do, it's going to have an effect. And as humans, if we do negative actions, then we're going to get back negative results. If we want to live in a free society, then that's going to require that, that we do, um, right things, right? And, um, wrong things are, all forms of stealing. They're taking away from that. And so um, when I said about with the End Evil podcast, there's a book that I use. Um, Jeremy Locke wrote this book called The End of All Evil. And I don't agree, agree with every single word he says, but what I do really like is that he defines evil as the destruction of freedom. And so I do mm. think, I like that you brought that up, um, Jordan P- Peterson's thing about freedom. Because like I said, that's one of those natural things that's inherent. When we're born... We have this body, right? We have this mind and that that's our freedom to use that. And so who um, would want to go against the creator uh, or the, all of the universe and say that, no, you shouldn't have that, you know, when you were clearly born with it, you know? Um, yeah. And so to me, that's been something that starting from there, starting from that, 
um, it simplifies a lot of other things out there. Hmm. Well, let me, let me comment on that because I think what I hear in your idea is also this, it's something that I've come to recently, which was, you, you mentioned that every, everything, you know, everything is a moral decision. Everything has a consequence either tilts us more perhaps towards heaven, perhaps more towards hell. And I think that when, when I really started to, uh, think about this idea that every single thing we do affects not only everything that's happening in our culture, because, you know, you think I'm an individual within a family, within a community, within a country, within a culture, within a world, within a universe, within a cosmos, you know, it's like it affects everything. Right. And it's, it's not easy to get to that place, but once you get there where you start to think, Oh, okay. When I go against what I believe to be true and right and good, I'm warping the structure of reality and I'm literally tilting everything in the wrong direction. And that's, that's not an easy burden to bear, but I do believe that that has something to do with that idea that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, you know, because when you truly understand the effects of your actions, the effects of how you present yourself in the world and and the ignorance that you decide to take on within yourself, uh, even if you just think about how terrible your life could become if you just decided to, you know, become an alcoholic, drug addicted, you know, pornography addicted, all of these things for 10 years, how bad could things get in your life, you know? And you need to think about that because that's hell, you know, like that's, that's descent, descent into hell. This, this, you know, if enough wrongdoings in your life build up, Man, you can go down quickly. And as I said, it's a hard burden to bear. And I'm not saying this in terms of a like, you should be good and, you know, you should do it for goodness sake. And it's difficult, right? And this is a personal journey that everybody has to go on. I really believe in the wisdom from Epictetus. He said that personal growth has to come from two places, uh, self-scrutiny, but also self-kindness. Man, we are fallible beings. You know, we are, it's difficult, really difficult to be good. And many people believe that they are. And as soon as you come across somebody who truly believes that they are a good person, run as quickly as you can away from that person. Cause the chances that they are actually genuinely a really good person, you know, and that they believe that they are, it's like, no, it's difficult. It's a difficult burden to bear, but I do believe that the beginning of wisdom comes from that fear of God, as in the one thing that you're, you're, little part of that, you know, if you mess up, it's, it's going to punch you back. And it does. And we need to recognize that just in the same way that Isaiah in the Bible, he says, God, your judgments fall down upon the earth and the people of the world learn righteousness. No truer statement was ever made. We're constantly going around saying, does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Every time we do something that doesn't work, reality punches us in the face and says, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. You can't go 10 years, you know, being a porn addict and still have a great sexual relationship with your wife. Not you're wrong. Not you can't go 10 years being a, a drug addict and still have a successful, you know, wonderful career where you're giving it all your best. Not you're wrong. You're like, you can't do these things because that's not what reality is. So 
and lying is the same thing. And, and the same thing goes for when we decide to be slaves to other people uh, and we decide to give up our free will, to give up our freedom of speech. You know, what happens is where in our lack of courage, we are tilting the world more in the direction of tyranny or hell and less in the direction of heaven on earth. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's such a fascinating time, right? Chris, we're living in a fascinating time and and we all get to wrestle with these things, right? It's intense and it's exciting. And I, I think the inspirational motivational part of that is it's an opportunity, um, to be a prophet or to be a hero to be someone who um, fights against the odds, you know, mm. and, and, and keeps pushing even against all this resistance. It's a time that's yeah. um, kind of pushing us out of our shell to be better people. And mm. um, what I love about stoicism and I'm glad you're bringing up some of those quotes um, is that I, one thing I really remember, I didn't really look into stoicism as deeply as I would like, but I remember this idea of the sphere of control and, mm. you know, um, what you can do in this world is you can be an example and that can have a pretty profound, incredible effect. You know, I've always thought about, you know, a still pond, right? And you pick up a pebble and you throw the pebble in the still pond and these rings emanate in every direction. And someone could be standing way over on the other end of the pond. And that one little pebble you threw in, you know, the little waves are hitting the shore, right? Right. Way over there on the other end. So, like, again, every little thing, part of the reason I chose the tree of life for my um, symbol for the show is that, you know, it describes this interconnectedness that, you know, all of life that we're connected and that everything we do affects affects life. And and what's tricky is, you know, you're bringing up God, right? That's where it's been tricky for me is is God, because, Mm -hmm. like, I grew up in Christianity. And so in Christianity... And the type of Christian, you know, there's all different flavors, right? Um, they're very particular about what we're talking about when we're talking about God. And that really um, doesn't um, work very well for me because along with that came some stories that don't make sense to me. And um, a whole bunch of references, historical references, the Old Testament of things that don't all seem to go together very well to me. And they don't seem consistent with who this God character is that. You know, one week he's having people kill people or, you know, a woman's dying because her hair's too long or whatever the reason is. It doesn't seem consistent. But, you know, what I've begun talking about now is using different terms. I like to call the universal, um, the universal all or um, um, the creative energy, you know, divine energy, mm-hmm. divine creative energy. I've been coming up with these different terms to kind of describe it's God that I'm talking about. Yeah. But I'm not talking about a guy sitting on a throne throwing lightning bolts on us or um, some kind of anthropomorphized being that's making decisions one day. Hmm, Simon did good today, but um, not yesterday, so he's not getting a cupcake. You know, but just the actual fabric and reality of the existence we're living in, um, if it were a program, you know, that yeah. would be what I'm talking about. The actual, yeah. you know, um, program behind what we're experiencing that's to me the reality of what the divine energy is and touching back in with that and figuring out what that is and aligning ourselves with that is to me 
when you start aligning yourself with it, that's what wisdom is because now you're that prophet who knows the rocks under the water and is able to predict how the water's going to flow over it because you understand the underpinnings of this reality that we're in. So, um, yeah. And, and I, I think what I would just add quickly is that, you know, I, I don't think prophecy is necessarily about predicting a certain event is going to happen and saying this is going to happen and, you know, and then it comes to pass. I don't think it's like a see into the future thing. I think it's, it's kind of a, it's when you start to, when you start to really get to know people, when you start to really get to know, um, culture, you know, what's your culture like? Uh, what are people like? What, what tends to happen when, you know, but, but you can even gain this from a personal knowledge, right? You can gain this from a really personal knowledge. Just look around your life and you can say, what happens right before my life turns into chaos? Well, you know, I probably let a few things slide. You know, maybe I'm getting a little bit messy. Maybe I've got a, too many bad habits. You know, maybe I'm not paying as much attention to my family. Maybe all these things are happening. And, and then, you know, reality kicks in and, shows me a lesson that there's something better to be achieved than, than that existence. Um, and, and listen, what I know about the Bible and Christianity and everything, I think I used to think that I had some answers. The deeper I go into it, the less and less I think that, you know, I think that the, that the, the way that the ancients viewed God, you know, is, extremely complicated and i think i'm just more interested in going on that adventure and saying okay well i'm open to the possibility that there's something really corrupt about the direction that modern religion has been taken you know look you look at these prosperity gospels and you know you look at the extremely materialistic worldview that many of the 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 modern christians have taken on where you look at their lives and you think, yeah, it's not clear to me at all that you truly believe in this all powerful God who would smite you if you go wrong and, and don't pay attention to the right things. And this is, uh, this is a myth- mythological trope that goes on over and over and over again in our culture. It's, it's this idea that your culture turns to stone, right? That's when people have kind of lost the way they've lost the true spirit of the religion or they've lost the true spirit of the culture and they turn to stone because when they pray, they no longer pray with the spirit. They pray in these lines that they just say over and over again. You know, like I, I think about, um, uh, one of the reasons that I kind of felt not as connected to the Mormon church when I left it, um, was because you could see that when people were praying, it's like, you're not thinking about what you're praying. You're not thinking about anything. You've said this same prayer 20 times. You've said it a thousand times. And I don't, I don't see you up there truly trying to commune with God and pass that communion onto the congregation, you know, and occasionally people would, would do that. They would speak with the true spirit. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is here is firstly, I don't know nearly enough about the Old Testament God or the New Testament God to make any claims of, um, uh, uh, against it or for it at this point. I'm, I'm on that adventure trying to figure it out. That's why I went back to uni to study divinity because I'm fascinated. Not because I'm a Christian, not because, uh, which, which, yeah, not because of any of that, just because I really want to know. 
Um, and I think that there's a lot of truth in what you say in terms of we can see it as just this oneness of everything that we're all in this soup together and this soup seems to have like a natural law. And part of what that means is that we have to truly understand that when we go against that natural law, it's going to kick us back. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with these claims made by Christianity because they're radical claims, but you have to think, is it right? And it can't be wrong just because I think it seems silly and it can't be wrong just because I had a bad experience growing up in religion. And it can't be wrong just because the whole culture has turned to stone and it can't be wrong because I don't see many great examples coming from Christians who I really look up to it. It, you know, I'm, I'm interested in exploring it. You know, I want to see if there's anything in there that has been left behind that we don't see today, but would be necessary, I guess. I don't know if that answers any of your questions, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll pass it on to you anyway. No, that's great. Um, I love the open-mindedness and the curiosity. And I think really that's ultimately what I'm getting to is yeah. the spiritual journey, that that's something that is probably the most important thing for us to be doing with, with our time and our energy. Because like you said, if you don't pursue your own spiritual journey, the universe is just going to drag you through it. You know, um, I don't know if anyone who's paying attention, there's a cyclical nature to life and the problems that, that we run into. And if you're paying attention, you'll see that you keep running into the same problem until you deal with it. And, and if you decide to kind of be ignorant of problems and, um, you're going to get dragged through those problems. And, and that's yeah. just, that's just the way reality is. Test it out. You know, you don't believe that there's a such thing of, natural law go punch somebody and see what happens you know you know prove to me that there's not an effect there's there's not a consequence for the actions that people do you know um anybody can test these things out and I, i challenge people to test out your inner journey and ask questions to yourself you know the great unconsciousness what whatever you call god um if you regularly seriously honestly ask a question and wait for the answer whether it's through meditation, paying attention to what's going around you, movies, you're going to experience certain amount of synchronicity. Um, eventually something's going to stop right in front of you and it's going to say, Oh, there's the answer, you know, and, and, and you'll feel it through yourself. And it's not all logic and it's not all intuition. It's a combination of both. Um, in my experience, but there is yeah. something very real for each person to be discovered. And I think, um, you know, if we spend these last few minutes, what I'd like to hear from you is um, your idea of how to encourage people to get on this spiritual journey or recognize it's something that we're supposed to be doing, because mm. I really see that as the solution. Like I said, with philosophy, if each individual is working on their spiritual evolution or their spiritual journey, then we're all going in the right direction, right? Yeah, well, I think what I would do instead of telling people that they should go on a spiritual journey or, you know, uh, telling them that that's the right path. Cause I, I think if somebody had have told me that five years ago, I wouldn't have even heard it. You know, it wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have stuck with me, you know? And I think that in the same way that when I read Epictetus about five years ago, uh, I would highlight certain things, the same with Seneca and same with Marcus Aurelius. And now when I read it, 
I realized that there are certain passages that I highlighted and then there was a passage right after it where he talks about God and I didn't highlight that because I wasn't searching for it. You know, it, it wasn't my time to see that information. I wasn't interested in that information, but now I see it and I'm like, whoa, the Stoics talked about God way more than I ever thought. And, and now it's so much more powerful for me because I realize the, the, the strange nature of our minds that we, we only see what we want to see, <laughs> you know? And you, yeah. And so if I come out here and I say, listen, everybody, the spiritual path, that's the way go on, do it. It's like, yeah, they're on their own path. But what I can say is that you talk about, uh, sometimes it drags you along. That's been my feeling in the past two years of my life. I actually, I left my job as a gym manager because I wanted to pursue the podcast and my coaching. And I really wanted to figure stoicism out. I wanted to figure out philosophy, this philosophy and figure out the depth of it, not just the surface level. And so I took a big risk. I quit my job. And then I said on the podcast, listen, I'm quitting my job because I believe that the twenties are going to bring us some of the biggest challenges and biggest opportunities that humankind has ever seen. And I want to be prepared for that, right? That's the start of 2020. That is on record on my podcast for me saying that two weeks after I left my job, Australia gets locked down with COVID. The the (laughs) prophecy. So I'm thinking. The prophecy, right? I'm thinking, (laughs) whoa, okay. 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 I'm about to be dragged through. And and this is not some sort of egotistical thing where I'm saying the whole world is evolving around me and dragging me through this and COVID's all because it's taking me on a spiritual path. That's not what I'm saying. But what I have experienced over the the past few years is this real feeling that I'm being dragged through this journey that I don't get to choose, that it's something that I have to do. And when I started writing this book, The Poet and the Sage, um, I thought that I was going to write a book about stoicism and then I started writing poetry. Now, my dad is a beautiful poet, but I had never been interested in poetry in my entire life. I'd, I'd never read poetry, wasn't interested in it, but then it started flowing out of me and I was thinking, this is weird. This is so weird that I'm writing this and this is not the book I thought I'd write at all. It actually started with me writing this kind of waking dream, really strange dream and it's in the book. And I took this to my friend and author, Sharon LaBelle, and I said, what do you think of this? And she said, whoa, you have to keep on writing. And I did. And I'll tell you, Chris, where I'm about a year and a half into my poetic career and I've written about 300 poems. I've got this book, you know, it's, it's just flowing out. And what that taught me was that I don't get a choice in what I'm good at. I don't get a choice at what I have to offer to the world. This is what's been given to me to offer to the world. So I'm going to offer it. And, you know, the poet and the sage is, is really, it's a, if people want to understand my own journey being dragged through that spiritual path, it's not necessarily a tale about me, but it's the unconscious contents of my soul. And so they will get a person truly trying to wrestle with wisdom and theology, philosophy, which is the love of wisdom, uh, wrestling with God, the one, you know, uh, uh, logos, the sage, all of these questions I'm wrestling within the poet and the sage. And so it's a very strange, mystical, theological, philosophical work that it's hard to define. But if people want to see the work of somebody who was dragged through that experience, 
then perhaps this book can be something that maybe leads them to think deeper about their own life, their own spiritual path. And I understand that the spiritual path is difficult to define. Even spirituality is difficult to define. And so uh, I, I, I won't get into that, but uh, I understand what you're saying. So yeah, I, I would just encourage people to continue. If, if you're on this path where you're trying to get to that examined life, where you're trying to better your life and the life of those around you, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Whether you call it the spiritual path or not, I'm happy with that. Right on. I'm glad you brought up the book too, because that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. The Poet and the Sage is the name of your book. That, and you finished that pretty recently, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. So it, it has been published. I was, I was really lucky because when I was looking around for a publisher, pretty much everywhere said, we don't accept poetry. And I'm like, well, I get it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that, there's that great quote from, um, the big short, something like, uh, the truth is like poetry and people, hate poetry <laughs> it's like yeah right on that's exactly right yeah um, and so i even understand the inherent danger in publishing a poetic work because it's like who the hell wants to read that but um and is it the is it but, all poetry the book or is there other um it's poetry and prose yeah oh, okay. and and the funny thing is when i started writing it it started coming out in that biblical language so it's full of all the these and thines and thous and hmm. it's a very very strange work um but i the reason why i want people to read this is because it's better than anything that i could have written myself in terms of pushing myself in a certain direction you know, I never, I realized in writing this book, the importance of an artist letting go and allowing the message to come through as what Stephen Jenkinson would call a cultural service. You know, me as the vehicle, this is the message. And I know that people are going to get something quite uh, amazing out of this book. And there will be a personal transformation because my mind was not the same after writing this book as when I wrote it, as when I started writing it. And, um, and so, as I said, I was really lucky because I stumbled across a publisher who was new to the business. Um, and he just said, I'm going to fund this and you make it as beautiful as you want. So it's a beautiful hardcover. You know, there's poetry in the hardcover that you won't get on the online versions. And, you know, it's got my illustrations in it. It's just, it's the beautiful book to hold. This is it actually. It's just, it's, you know, and I wanted it to be a picture of virtue, you know, both inside and out. I wanted it to be something that people can hold and really have a beautiful experience with. So I, I'm so grateful to offer this book. And I, I hope that people, uh, you know, I don't hope that people will enjoy it. I hope that they are transformed in reading it. I hope that that happens. That would yeah. be, that would be great for me. Right on. So um, I want to get a copy. Where Where do we find it? Well, at the moment, we haven't got it on Amazon quite yet, uh, which uh, is is disappointing for many people, but it is available on thewalledgarden.com. So that's the website that uh, it's a community that I'm organizing with the author from America, Sharon LaBelle. She's a beautiful uh, philosopher as well. And the philosopher Kai Whiting from England. Uh, we all share common stoic values together, and we're really trying to bring people along on that uh, on that path of traditional stoicism where you do get connected with what is divine and you do understand uh, the logos. Um, but nonetheless, the walledgarden.com, if people go there, then they can get it. Um, and 
if they want to get the first three chapters, I have set up a website, thepoetandthesage.com. And if they want to read the first three chapters there, they can do that. And then there's a link to where they can buy it. And I would just say to everybody as well, if I can, Chris, that um, if you read this book, if you buy it and you read it, send me an email. I'll sit down with you for an hour and I'd love to discuss your experience with the book. You know, I just, I want to know what people take away from it. Cause as an artist, as, as a writer, as a poet, that's really meaningful. That's, that's what makes it all really meaningful and worthwhile for me is actually seeing people read this and get something from it and take it away for their lives. So, yeah. um, how that's does what it affect you? To do. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out. And then you also have, um, the Walt Garden podcast, right? That's right. And then Soul Searching with Seneca, is that a podcast you're still doing too? That That is actually, yeah, we just the other day, I released that as an official podcast on its own. So um, two to three episodes a week, I'm going from start to finish uh, through the writings of Seneca, the Stoic philosopher. And so it usually takes me about two to three episodes to get through an entire letter, which means that by the end of his epistles, there's probably going to be about 500 episodes there. Um, That'll keep you going for a people, while. Yes, it's going to keep me going for a long time. But <laughs> the, the, let me quickly tell you why I'm doing that. Because Seneca, he said, what you want to do when you're learning is you want to pick a teacher who you believe their genius is unquestionable. Not that you think that they can't go wrong, but you know that they're onto something, right? You know that there's a brilliance in the way that they teach. And he said, stick with them for a while. Really get to know how they think, how they see the world. Then you'll learn you know, not to think exactly like them, but you'll learn how to be a thinker, right? And I've found that in Seneca's writings. He's such a beautiful writer, such an interesting person. And I resonate with him because he was also a playwright. So he was an artist at heart and he understood the value of aesthetics and beauty. And so uh, that's why I'm wrestling with his letters all the way through. And as a part of the World Garden community, I'm actually running weekly meetup sessions where I get together with my, my members over on the walled garden and we discuss one letter at a time. And it's, it's really transformational. It's beautiful for us to all go through these letters together. Wow. That's awesome. I like that too. Um, I feel like when you bring minds together, that always multiplies the possibility of inspiration coming out yeah. because, you know, it's like, um, we all have these amazing devices of our brains and our soul and our body, but when you put them together, it it's like magnification of that, uh, that possibility that happens. Yeah, what can happen? So that sounds terrific. I'm um, I'm glad to hear. And you know, in talking to you tonight, it's like um, there's so many ideas popping off that I'm only grabbing a couple of them and you know sticking with that. But <laughs> me like, too. <laughs> I could have I could have grabbed any any other set of them and we could have gone in different directions. And you know, my brain still you know, still going on all these ideas. So um, I, I like how you speak and you're um, stimulating a lot of good thoughts in my mind. I appreciate um, you putting this. I appreciate that. Time and I'm, I'm a bit work. all over the place. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a winding, windy road thinker. I kind of, you know, I think on the spot and sometimes I go way off track. Right. But sometimes we manage to hit the mark. And <laughs> okay, great. Um, I also just want to quickly apologize to your listeners if they're watching this on video because I'm in Australia right now, right in the middle of summer, and there's actually no air conditioning in this room that I'm in at the moment. Oh, boy. And so I've been sweating up a storm. And so <laughs> if you go and watch the video, you'll see shiny-faced Simon here. But um, hopefully it wasn't too nasty for you all. 
<laughs> no, you're just um glowing. Yeah. Yeah, just shiny. It's just, yeah, just shiny, shiny happy sound. verses. All right, Simon. Well, I mean, yeah, we could go on forever, but we'll we'll end for now. Maybe we can have another conversation down the road. Um, I'm looking yeah. forward to checking out your book, and um, really appreciate you coming on End Evil Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. No, I appreciate it, mate. This has been absolutely wonderful. You're a great interviewer, so thank you. Right on. And did we cover everything? Do you have any other websites or anything we forgot to talk about? Look, there's there's no other websites other than, you know, simonjedrew.com if want, people want to go there and check out what I'm doing over there. Um, I, I, I do kind of one-on-one philosophical mentoring with people. We're actually doing that via the World Garden now. But if people want to book in with me, we haven't set everything up over there quite yet. So just go to simonjedrew.com. But I don't want to overburden everybody with a whole bunch of links. Just you'll find me. Just search Simon J. Drew and you'll find all the stuff. <laughs> right on. Been putting yourself out there and that's a good thing. Awesome. Yeah. Nice work, Simon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, that's a lot of fun.
All right, another